Welcome to the Art and Science of Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well be for you. I'm Andrew Cannon, and I have the honor to be your host. And in this special episode, I'm excited to be talking with Paola Rosecki on the topic of belonging and inclusion in the workplace. Paola is a longtime market researcher, facilitator, and mindset coach in Seattle. As a facilitation of leadership and DEI training, she helps small and medium-sized businesses to create a better sense of belonging for their employees through DEI trainings. Paola received her MBA from RIT through the US Business School in Prague and bachelor's degree in sociology from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Paola's international and research background has fueled her ability to create spaces of empathy and belonging to empower people to be better allies and leaders. Paola lives in Ballard, Washington with her husband and two-year-old blue Russian, or Russian blue even, called Zuma. Welcome Paola, excited to have you on the podcast. I'm very excited and full of joy to be here with you today, Andrew. Thank you. Excellent. So the most important question first, what does Zuma mean? Zoomer. So Zoomer is the name of our Russian blue cat, indeed. Uh, he came, he's a COVID cat. So we named him Zoomer after, of course, the joyful technology that we all use now. Uh, but we wanted to put a little twist on it. So we, we put, we made it kind of a German version. So we don't spell it Z-O-O-M. We spell it Z-U-Umlaut-M-E-R. Wow. <laughs> Very Zuma. That's right. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm really excited um, to have you on the show and to happy to talk to you today about this belonging and inclusion. So maybe just kick us off by telling us why you're so interested in this topic, why are you so passionate about it? Yes, thank you so much. So as I, I have shared, I am the daughter of immigrants. So my parents came to the U.S. in 1969 after leaving former Czechoslovakia. So my relationship to belonging and inclusion started very, very early. I uh, recognized that my parents had some struggles as when I was a kid, I would literally sometimes hear my mother crying in the bathroom. And I had at the time, of course, no idea what was happening, but I learned later that some of these struggles were, uh, came from just separation from her family and from her culture and trying to integrate or adapt or whatever word she was using those days yeah. to be more accepted in, in her new country and away from her, you know, home country, quote unquote. So that, that just that idea of that feeling of separation and feeling like you don't belong somewhere became, I think, very ingrained in me and many of the things that I've done in my life. And some of the things that I've experienced have kind of heightened my awareness of how important it is to have that sense of feeling like you belong somewhere. Right. Could you, would you like to mention, or do you mind mentioning one or two of those things in your own life that you felt have sort of given you that sense of not belonging or not being included? Sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. So later in my life, because I was so interested in, uh, in, in, and curious about my parents' journey, I ended up actually going back to their home country to learn about some of what they had gone through and why they left and, mm-hmm. and understand them better. So when I lived in the then now Czech Republic, all through the nineties, um, I kind of had my own version of that. Like, even though I understood something about the culture there, I still was learning a language. I was learning a new culture. I even when I started understanding the language, I didn't know anything about politics or pop culture. And so there was a lot that I still had to learn, um, as I was integrating into my, this new culture for me. So, that I had, you know, my own versions of separations that way. And then fast forward several years later, when I decided to come back to the U S much to my surprise, I ended up um, suffering from reverse culture shock coming back to the U (laughs) S and here I was in my own home country and I felt like a complete alien because now I had, you know, experienced all these things abroad. I came back to the U S and I was, uh, doubting all of my decisions and what I had all the, some of the things that I've, uh, did and all the people that I left behind the career that I left behind. And so once again, I was feeling a lot of separation even though I had created it myself, right? <laughs> what we do. This is what we humans do sometimes we in the, sometimes. in the interest of growth, you know? Yeah. That's really important, right? That, that, that sometimes we self-sabotage so we can grow. Absolutely. That, yeah. That's a beautiful thing. So let's talk about belonging in the workplace, um, obviously, you know, belonging at home, belonging, friends, belonging, community, there are many forms of belonging. Um, but, you know, we spend a lot of time at work. So belonging is important at work. And how do you see the importance of it, really? How does it sort of manifest to you as important? Yeah, well, so before we jump into that, I think it's important to just kind of say what belonging means. Okay. Go yeah, for it. There, yeah, there. So there have been uh, obviously lots of research and studies around this. There's one that um, I think is particularly interesting at this. Um, it's called the Stanford Belonging Project, mm-hmm. and they do research among students to better understand what belonging means. And they define it as a feeling of security and support when there is a sense of acceptance, inclusion, and you your identity can be brought into as a member of a group. Um, And I also think that belonging uh, can be not only a feeling, we can feel like we belong, we feel included and accepted. I think creating a sense of belonging is something that we actually do, right? We can be very purposeful in how we create a space where others can feel like they belong. But it is also our own personal responsibility to take some actions in order to to create that sense of belonging for ourselves, right? So it's not always someone else's responsibility, although I think it is important that that we all kind of raise our, our awareness around that and we 
we can take actions ourselves, but we may have some expectations of others taking those actions as well. Right. So there's so kind of many aspects. Passive, passive thing to belong. It's an active. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, and it's, it's a, I, I think it's such a beautiful word because it, it is a, it can be a, a circumstance for ourselves, right? Like I, I know I belong, it could be kind of an inner knowing it can, it can be a thought I have about myself and it can be something that I really feel and I can take action on. So when you're trying to be inclusive, to create a sense of belonging, right? Um, being include, taking action to be inclusive, mm. that, that is something that we do. That is a behavior. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and I like the way that you brought in the authenticity to that, that, you know, people feel that they need to belong in an authentic way that they can just be themselves. Um, and yeah. A lot of people are in this sort of imposter syndrome in, in the work environment where they feel they need to be somebody else to, to fit in, right? Which yeah. I presume is a big hindrance to actually feeling belonging if you feel that you have to pretend to be somebody yeah. else to join the party. Right, right. And the more, um, you know, maybe we're not going to be all authentic all the time, and it may not be appropriate to do that. Mm. But to feel like you are psychologically, not only physically safe in a workplace, but also psychologically and emotionally safe, so that you can um, bring forward your best ideas, you can um, create better team interactions and engagements. And ultimately, if we can feel like we belong, um, it helps our employ our places of work so that we all can be perform better, essentially perform better, not only at work, but also in our personal lives. So in a roundabout way, you did manage to answer the question, at least to some extent of the importance of belonging at work. So I, I picked up on the words creativity I picked mm -hmm. up on the words um, team engagement and I picked up on the words perform better so those are all things obviously management should be listening to and thinking hey if we have those three things more than we had yesterday that's a good thing are there any other benefits that you'd like to highlight in addition to those or do you think that mm -hmm. covers the the gamut yeah, I think those are pretty important uh, because ultimately businesses are here to make money and hopefully do something good for the world. And if we are gleaning ideas from all the people that we think are important to our business, and that those are that's where those great ideas are going to be coming from. And so the more that we can generate uh, new and new thinking and forward thinking that is, that's how we move the world. That's how new products get created. That's how new services get created. And that's how more people are served. So the greater we can feel a sense of belonging and inclusion, the ultimately the more we can impact the world in a positive way. And that's a thing of beauty as well as a thing of profit. So it has the the people, the perfect 
purpose and the profit um, elements yeah. to it for belonging. So super. And people important. are a lot healthier in, or happier in those workplaces because they're able to be, you know, bring themselves to work in that way. So it also helps their own personal satisfaction at work, which of course also helps the employer. Definitely. And it helps with retention um, as mm-hmm. well, for sure. And we can't talk about this topic without talking about the pandemic, of course. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you see the pandemic um, changed things when it comes to belonging um, from the work you've been doing with, with companies in this area? Yeah, well, I, I can't, I wouldn't say that belonging is any more important necessarily. I think that's always been important. If we think about, you know, the classic hierarchy of needs, belonging fits right in there and has always been there. What has changed is just the level of recognition of, of its importance and, and how it's being talked about a bit more now, particularly after the, as we kind of move through the pandemic, because we have been physically separated from each other and that has created some emotional separation as well. And so now as we are moving from less of a just survival only mode, and now we're able to kind of pay more attention to um, to those feelings of belonging and sense of belonging. And people really recognize after having missed it, how important it is and how much they really do want that. So it's just kind of leveled up the amount of awareness rather than like not being there before. And now it's there. Yeah. I think and that's, you know, on a more general level, like that's how I see the pandemic in many ways. It hasn't really changed that much in itself, but it has shone a spotlight on many things that already were there. And people, many people were sort of maybe struggling with their belonging at work or not appreciating it. And now all of a sudden, you know, appreciating that time at the water, water cooler with your colleagues, um, those team meetings that before you went, oh, another team meeting. And now, hey, we actually get to have a team meeting. How wonderful is that? So it's sort of changed that dynamic, that awareness, as you say, of how yeah. it is. And there are, there are ways that we use in facilitation to create some of, uh, to the best, you know, to our extent possible, to create that idea of the water cooler moment, right? There are facilitation tools we can use to help us have better more connected and meaningful, purposeful meetings. We don't always have to have an hour meeting just because Mm -hmm. we used to have hour meetings. Now, I think people are paying a little bit more attention to why is it that we're actually gathering for this Mm -hmm. meeting? What, What specifically do we want to accomplish? And what's the best way to accomplish that? So I think we, we put a little, um, a little spotlight on why, what are these meetings even for? Right. So, um, so that, I think that's actually been a a really interesting byproduct of, of the pandemic as well. Yeah. I think that's really good. I think it's really good. So if we're saying that employees have really become more aware, recognize the importance of belonging and how they want to belong at work, how are you seeing it with the leaders you, you work with? Are they more seeing the, the importance now? Are their attitudes changing towards this word belonging? 
I think there has been a heightened sense of important, the importance of creating more belonging for the reasons we've mentioned, because it does lead to better retention at work. Um, there is a study done by McKinsey that says corporations that identify as more diverse and inclusive are about 35% more likely to outperform their competitors. Mm. That is definitely a benefit. Um, diverse companies are also 70, 70% more likely to capture like new markets or new marketplaces. Um, so there are many really great business reasons to create more belonging and inclusivity at work. Yeah. And, and are they, do they have the tools to do that um, readily or do you think they need helping along the way and nurturing belonging does it come naturally to them or are you finding many leaders and well it's not really my sweet spot give me excel spreadsheet um give me a forecast and i feel really comfortable but if i have to get soft and touchy-feely with people um maybe i struggle a bit with that as a leader maybe some leaders are saying that to you yeah, I think there is some people have a bit of resistance because they they think they don't know how or they're not sure. And so it's possible they could use some help to do that. Um, but if they also just tap into their own humanity of, of how we all personally like to be heard, right? Everybody likes to be heard in some way and has something valuable to contribute and to say. So just even just tapping into who am I, what am I like as a human Mm. and how might I project some of that out to my staff or on my team. Um, So it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be big, huge steps that we're taking here, right? It could Mm. just be asking a, a, a personal question or a question that is more meaningful to the type of work someone is doing to understand the why behind what's going on with someone in order to help them perform better, perhaps. Um, so I think it is, it has rate, it has been, um, more on the forefront of leaders' minds. Some people might need a little more help to, to nurture that sense of belonging. Um, but they can just start with what, you know, what, how do I like to be treated as a human and how do I want to be heard and just projecting that out a little bit yeah I think that's really important you know when we talk about the growing importance of the employee experience there's a lot of focus on well-being when it comes to that which is of course super important Um, but I think it's important that we bring alongside that well-being that individual well-being we bring alongside the importance of belonging as part of this employee experience has been equally valuable to focusing on employees well-being so don't just put all the money all the resources into into that if I was a leader but also think about hey how can I use resources to also increase the sense of belonging that the team has yes absolutely because well-being it you know has is is a a well it's a well-rounded kind of function right it's Mm. it's well-being emotionally and physically and a lot of that emotional part can come from feeling like you belong at work or definitely if you feel isolated um, it can definitely have a huge negative impact on your 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 well-being 
So there's definitely a, an intercorrelation between the two that leaders should be aware of and perhaps nurture more when they're thinking about this. Yeah, absolutely. It's important. It's important. And I think some leaders um, may have uh, their hearts in the right place, but they may not know what to do. Or if they're feeling some resistance to this idea of belonging, just checking in with. So I think our emotions are our great equalizers, right? This, yeah. this is something unique to the human condition. And if we can tap into, you know, what, what is that emotion that is driving us to want to nurture more or, or resisting that nurturing more and just examining where that's coming from and then helping to unravel if you are feeling some resistance to that. Um, because, because there may be, and that's, that's okay. It's understandable. There's no wrong here. Mm. Um, it's just recognizing that, yeah, some people may not feel like they belong and what, what might I be able to do as a leader to help them along that journey? Yeah. So what do you think about this sort of outsourcing the, the problem? So, you know, if a leader doesn't feel natural, um, it's sort of, nurturing belonging if they don't see it's their their sort of sweet spot many of their reaction is to bring in a consultant or to to bring in some some training to sort of export the problem so to speak um how do you yeah. see that working or do you have to work more with the leaders themselves to to bring them up so they can do it themselves how do you see that playing out I, what i'm finding is that it it depends on um, where they are in their business journey, how, how large they are, how many, uh, employees they might have. So there's a, there's a point at which it may not make sense to, to get outside help. And there are things that they can do to do nurture it themselves. Right. But then once they get to a certain size, and it could, it's kind of a small to medium size organization where now there are just so many people and diverse, especially if it's like a highly diverse staff, yeah. then, then that's where they might want to consider um, getting some consultation and help outside where, where we can bring in some training to help understand, well, where are people now? How are they feeling? What, what's working and what, you know, where is it we want to go? What's our ideal and what kind of um, help might we, we need to get there and potentially some maintenance to, to help us kind of stay in a good place. Yeah, definitely. I think if it's seen as a journey, right, if you can bring in some external people to give that external perspective and to bring them along as part of the journey and not just, you know, a two hour, Hey, sort of workshop and then forget it and go back to normal. I think, you know, change management takes a longer commitment than yeah. that to build a program to build this, this change so that it becomes natural over time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just specifically my partner, Emily Williams and I work on their short kind of a masterclass series Mm. where there is some education involved. There is some reflection, self-reflection involved. So we all individually, individually, we all make up an ecosystem, right? All of us together work in an ecosystem. 
and all of us contribute to that sense of belonging um, for ourselves and then also for the greater um, team or organization. So we have some exercises where there is self-reflection. So we all understand individually where we are right now. And then we have small group discussions because you're not alone. I mean, everybody is, everybody has some perspective on this and has maybe slightly different, different definitions of what that means to them to be feel, feel included or feel a sense of belonging. So we want to table set and make sure we kind of understand that for everyone. Um, and then we create some steps to help us help guide people who need the guidance to, to create more of that sense of belonging um, and equity. Excellent. Excellent. So let's focus now on that word inclusion, because we talked about belonging and we've mentioned it uh, here and now through our conversation as, as a key word that we're talking about when we're talking about belonging. And there's a lot of focus in the business world, obviously, on diversity, inclusion, um, equity, and belonging. So how do you see the inclusion element in terms of belonging and for helping people find joy at work? Mm -hmm. So inclusion to me is a, that is actually, that's an action. That is something where I am taking some pur purposeful behavior and ensuring that I am including someone, right. Which then, um, makes an inclusive culture. And again, helps people feel respected and valued as an individual and within the group. So it's something that I do to help support others, um, in bringing them into that, that group or belonging. They're very interconnected. I think belonging comes from um, someone else's action to include us. So, so that they go very much hand in hand in my yeah, mind. Yeah, I think um, Steve and Lacey, um, I talked with on one of the panels that we did at the MRS conference. And I think he mentioned that inclusion is inviting somebody to dance at the wedding, for example, right? It's not just inviting them to the wedding, but it's actually, you know, inviting them to, to dance, to, to feel actually included in what's happening. So very action orientated, as you mentioned. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Like it's that. not just thinking about it. It's actually doing the action. <laughs> yeah. Correct. So if you talk about leaders again and how they can nurture inclusion, do you have any sort of key tips or advice to leaders who might be listening? Yeah, well, I think the first key thing is to recognize their role in creating that sense of belonging or an inclusion and just rec recognizing that they have a responsibility and that they can do something about it. So that's number one, it's just raising their awareness about that. And then, like we were just saying, how can you invite people, create a space um, and invite people purposefully to, to heighten that sense of belonging and then be somewhat emotionally prepared in case people don't always take you up on your offer, because not, not all invitations are going to be met with a yes. <laughs> so, um, and, and just being aware that that might happen and trying to understand why um, respectfully. And, and that's okay too. Not everyone is always going to want to dance. 
I like that. I like that. That it's it's okay for the person to say, "I'm not dancing today," and maybe other time, right today, them enough dancing lessons, then they will get up on the dance floor at some point of their right. own, when they're ready. And I think really being uh, recognizing that there are differences, right? Like each of us coming from our own cultures, our own family backgrounds that may be nothing at all like ours, but, but sometimes we, uh, we surround ourselves with our, um, because it's familiar and feels safer to be with people who we recognize more like us, right. And mirror us more. So, so as leaders, just knowing that not everyone on your team may have those similar life experiences and being open and respectful. Don't, I know some of us feel like we're going to say the wrong thing Mm -hmm. or we, you know, we're not sure what to say. And sometimes saying something is better than saying nothing, because at least then you are moving forward you are learning about someone else and you're coming up against your own, um, like your own wall of, of your current, you know, your current state of understanding inclusion and belonging. So it's failing sometimes, you know, we think, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to say something wrong, but that's okay. It's really better to say something wrong and ask for, and make an apology or, um, rather than say nothing. I like that. I like that. I think many leaders perhaps feel that as this isn't in their wheelhouse, so to speak, that, you know, this isn't what they were taught during their MBA necessarily back in the day, Um, maybe more and more now, but back in the day, definitely not part of that, that training that they had. And therefore they maybe not feel naturally comfortable doing this and expressing weakness and saying, Hey, I don't really know. I I don't know your lived experience. Right. Right. And I think zoom has helped in a strange way that that many leaders, when they've had a peer into their employees, kitchens and their living rooms and the chaos of the kids and the dogs and the cats and everything going on, there has become this more human connection, this more understanding of somebody else's, lived experience through this zoom connection and not just seeing them as workers or fte's or headcount these terms that they would have used previously maybe now they see them as people i it's been like the world's biggest ethnography project Mm. (laughs) online right (laughs) right right from a researcher how wonderful is that yeah, like seeing everyone's little square and then the, you know, the things that come in and out of the square and our little tiles here mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and just and getting a greater sense of that person and what they're dealing with in their lives and then make creating situations and spaces so that those people can be more of who they are and bring more of their selves to work where appropriate. Yeah, that's that's excellent. And let's talk then a, about bias, because part of this issue, I think, that many leaders have is that they might be slightly aware of their conscious bias, but many of them aren't necessarily sure of their unconscious biases that they that they have. And, and therefore, these biases can negatively impact inclusion in practice, but also the feeling of inclusion or um, exclusion 
that somebody else might feel because of these biases. What major biases do you see in the work that you do that come up in the workplace? Yeah, well, one that is is comes up a lot is just that idea of the affinity bias, right? The one where we want the, kind of what I was just mentioning is that we are more comfortable and feel safer with people that are more like us rather than not like us. So understanding that we need to crack that open a little bit so we can um, recognize others and understand their differences and how that actually might be an advantage. Um, And it's okay that you're not like that other person, but being open to wanting to know a little bit more and being curious about it. So that affinity bias is definitely one that you see. Are there any others that you come across regularly? Um, point out? Well, certainly unconscious biases come up all the time. Um, we perceive people who are not like us to, um, to not maybe be what we expected them to be. And that can be a problem sometimes. Yeah. Unconscious biases and recognizing those. And so some of the exercises we do is to help, uh, help bring some more of those to the surface. So then we can break through those types of unconscious biases. So creating the awareness of that bias or those biases first before you can break them down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If we don't, if we don't bring them to the forefront and recognize them, they're going to be difficult to break through. So we need to kind of raise them to the surface, which may not feel very good at first, Um, So that's part of the process that we talk about too, is that, you know, not all of us, not all of it's going to always feel good, but in the spirit of growth and learning, we want to, we want to uncover some of that so that we can get to the other side of it um, and, and change things. So that's where that psychological safe space comes in, right? That people feel safe within that moment or those moments of uncomfortableness. Yeah. And there are things that we do to create rapport ahead of time so that we, as we create that psychological safety, uh, there's another great piece of resource that I can share by Amy Edmondson. And she's done a lot of forefront work on creating um, psychological safety in the workplace. Um, But we, there are many types of things that we do. and, And part of it is just having a little levity. Sometimes it could be finding one thing that you connect on that there's a common interest or doing something that is, you know, what you consider to be fun. Um, and talking about that just to kind of bring our humanity together first, before we go into this stuff that people, you know, often think is really serious, Mm. but over time we can show that there are ways to connect that don't always have to be so serious. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And maybe, you know, again, thinking about Zoom and thinking about the, the pandemic impact pets, you know, you talk yes. about pet, that, that connects many people, right? And you, you could, if you get them talking about their cats and dogs and whatever, um, all of a sudden, you know, they recognize their similarities more than their differences. At that yes. Point. Pets, of course, and babies, of course, (laughs) Um, or any other outside interests, you know, we talk about like, it could be music or art or reading. Um, So there are, there are plenty of ways that we 
bring people together um, to create that rapport before yeah, launching yeah. into to heavier things, quote unquote yeah, that, heavier. That, that, that's that's wonderful. So you know, we brought these things to the to the fore, to the awareness of the group. Is there any sort of practical advice you could have then to how people could start overcoming these biases? What are some of the steps that they can take? Any practices that they can think about ingraining into their into their days? Mm. I would I would look take a look at um, your friend circle, and if you really think about the people that are closest to you that you spend the most time with. Mm. Um, how, you know, how, how much are they mostly like you? And if you've noticed that there are mostly people around you that are more like you than not like you, I would challenge yourself to do one thing this week that puts you into a place where you may encounter people who are different than you. So it could be going to a type of restaurant you've never gone to, or um, take a drive, you know, to a different part of town or get on a train if that's available to you, public transport, just to kind of, just to open your mind to other experiences that may not, you know, may expose you to people who, who are different. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. One way to do that I found in, in the US, which at least exposed me to a different type of person is to, to take the train. Yeah. yeah. To take the train, the train across America. You'll meet so many wonderful different people from all walks of life. If you do that, it's a wonderful ethnography thing in its own to spend yeah. a couple of days on an Amtrak train. Yeah. I, I love taking the train. It's you're right. It is such a great, um, slice of all kinds of folks it's really it's really yeah. fun i love that what you said about doing something to stretch your your reference group um the research i think we looked at last said that you end up you know being basically the average of the five people you spend most time with yeah so you know if those people are all the same it's that's what you're going to be so to have that diversity in your experiences um it's something you'll have to work on if you're naturally surrounding yourself with people of very similarity yeah well that that's that can be said about a lot of this work is and i use the word work but the word work but really it's it's having an intention to create that um create a world for yourself that does start to look a little different and open you up to new experiences and levels of understanding among other people um, and have greater empathy for those that might not be like you. Mm-hmm. So all of it does take some intention um, and paying attention, paying attention and then intention. Pay attention and intention to, to tensions, mm-hmm. but not tension. So <laughs> And you mentioned the word empathy. So maybe the last point I want to talk about is empathy and affinity being two key steps people can take to boost how included others feel. And I know that's an area that you you work on. So can you talk specifically about how people can build affinity um, and what works and what business leaders can do as well as peers to create more affinity? When I think of affinity, I think of something that we are drawn to 
something that we are connected with, we like on some level. Again, I think we can't, it's difficult to like something if we don't know something or if we feel threatened by someone or something. So how can you create experiences for yourself where you are opening yourself up to learning more about someone and their way of life and their experiences? And you don't always have to like them, but you, but creating empathy is just a deeper understanding of where they're coming from on a human level. Just knowing that we all have life experiences, they may not be the same, but, and I don't always have to like you, but I, I can choose to love you as a human. Mm. And I know that sounds a little, a little funny thinking about it in the workplace, but Love is one of those emotions that is very specific to humans and it is the greatest joy of our lives. Mm -hmm. So why not think of that way that you can love someone in the workplace, even if you are not going to be friends with that person necessarily, but the affinity comes from that understanding that all of us humans are lovable and we're loved and we want to be loved. So as a human level, as on a human level in the workplace, how can you, even if it's just some way that you're looking at someone else, look at that person in terms of their lovability as a human. I like that. I, I really like that way of wrapping up this this conversation to bring it back to, to love, which ultimately is the ultimate joy. So That's thank you, Paula, so much for sharing your thoughts. So we talked about a lot of points today. If you I'm going to force your hand a little bit here and say, would you like to name three things, three key takeaways that you'd like people to take away from our discussion today? Yes. So I would say recognize your role in creating a better sense of belonging and inclusion in your organization and recognize your role as an individual to help yourself create a greater sense of belonging and inclusion. I would say also to invite someone to do something to create that inclusion, inclusion, included, uh, sorry, invite someone to do something to create that sense of belonging. So extend a hand, ask them to dance. Um, And then if someone does not want to take that hand, then just be prepared that it's okay. Everyone gets to choose if they want to be included or not. Excellent. Well, those are three excellent tips. Thank you for sharing those, Paola. And and finally, if people are interested in exploring this topic further about belonging and inclusion, you mentioned some great research already earlier. Um, Are there any thought leaders or other resources that you yourself have found super exciting or interesting that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so there is a woman named Amy Edmondson. She does work on psychological safety. 
And then I mentioned a few studies by McKinsey and the Harvard Business Review that also do studies on diversity, inclusion, and equity and their importance to the workplace. Excellent. Some excellent resources there. Thank you, Paula. And if anyone would like to stay in touch with me, they can find me at paularosecki.com, P-A-U-L-A-R-O-S-E-C-K-Y.com. And you can find a way to sign up for my newsletter where I share tips three or four times a month on having better facilitated meetings, ways to think and feel better, inspirational stories and motivational tips. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And we definitely put the link also in the notes so people can click on that directly. And my last question for you, Paola, is one I always like to ask our guests. And that is what brings you joy? Oh my goodness. I feel so much joy when I have one-on-one conversations with people and I can look them straight in the eyes and have a very deep conversation about something that is meaningful to them or that I am sharing myself that is meaningful to me. I enjoy talking to people about their future plans and how they can get there. Wow. Amazing. That certainly is a a joyful thing to do. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you, our listeners, for for listening today. If you like what you listen to, um, you don't already do so, please follow the Art and Science of Joy on Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn and come and join in the conversation and help us spread the joy which the world needs more and more. So thank you again for listening and thank you Paola for being such a wonderful guest today I've really enjoyed our chat it has been my complete pleasure it's been very joyful thank you Andrew excellent and listeners I hope you tune in for the next episode of the art and science of joy podcast and still then stay well stay joyful and stay inclusive